A convicted sex offender living in a child care center for autistic kids has been arrested. A recording shows an elementary school teacher in Windsor berating Muslim students for skipping the school's LGBTQ Pride Day. Delta British Columbia Police Chief Neil Dubord debunks British Columbia's drug decriminalization policy. Hello Canada, it is Thursday, July 20th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Andrew Lawton. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. And we have got you covered with all the news you need to know, so let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Two days after Ontario Provincial Police issued a rare public advisory about a convicted sex offender's presence in a community in Ontario, convicted sex offender Lauriston Maloney and his wife Amber Maloney have been arrested. The couple was charged yesterday with multiple offenses relating to recruiting, exercising control, exploitation, assault, forcible confinement, and financial benefit from committing a crime. They were taken into police custody on Wednesday morning due to a publication ban in place. Only limited details can be shared here and in the media more generally. According to the OPP advisory, the couple lived at a child care center for kids with autism. The OPP warned that Maloney, 42, had, quote, regular access, unquote, to children. And in subsequent media reports, he denied this claim. Maloney has a total of 16 criminal offenses related to trafficking minors for sex work and is registered as a sex offender, but he had no conditions prohibiting him from being near children. And despite Maloney's arrest, there have been many questions about why he was allowed to be near children in the first place, given his status. In an interview with True North's Harrison Faulkner, parent Loralee Barrett claimed that Maloney had offered to drive her son home from the facility one day. Another emotional mother present at the scene named Candace Williamson claimed that the Maloney's attempted to invite her and another friend to their cottage. None of these accusations has been proven in court. So, Lindsay, this is just another example of a revolving door in the justice system. A guy is out. The police believe that he has enough of a risk that he's posing that they want to warn the community. And then two days later, he, he's back in. So is this the system working or is this the system not working? The system is absolutely not working. And if you look at what they were arrested for, you know, recruiting, exercising control, forcible confinement, it raises a lot of questions. You know, who was being confined and recruited? Was it these vulnerable kids who have autism? Was it the moms or the parents? Was it the staff? Um, and of course, yeah, we, we don't have the answers and maybe we won't get them because of privacy and security reasons. But one of the moms that Harrison Faulkner, uh, one of the True North journalists interviewed at the scene, her name was Candace Williamson. She was saying that Amber Maloney and Lauriston Maloney um, this couple that was arrested, they were trying to lure her up to their cabin. They were promising a hot tub. They were making appeals to her like, we know how hard it is for you. You know, your your kid has severe autism. We know it's hard. Like, come relax. You deserve it. It does really sound like luring, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. And, and I mean, the fact that uh, both of them were arrested, uh, obviously, we don't yet know, as, as you mentioned, the details of it. But I, I think that's very noteworthy as well, because in, in media reports this week, when the controversy was uh, coming up, it was Amber saying, oh, no, no, he's got nothing to do with the kids. He's 
not having any contact with them. And now police are making some pretty serious accusations against her as well. So I, I guess the question is here, do you think anything good comes of a story like this being out there and people seeing her? Do you think that's not enough to perhaps change these issues that we're talking about that lead to that brokenness in the system? I mean, I would say the one obvious positive from this story uh, being released and the OPP deciding that they should issue this public advisory is this daycare will never operate and hopefully these people will never operate daycares if they ever, you know, with the justice system, with how it is, maybe in, in a decade or so they'll open another child care center and they'll be allowed to do so. So hopefully people uh, with children will Google their names and see all this. Um, so I am glad that the OPP decided to issue that rare public advisory and is making this public. An elementary school teacher in Windsor, Ontario, was caught on tape berating Muslim students for skipping the school's LGBTQ Pride Day, telling them their abstention was disgusting and an incredible show of hatred that made her not want to be their educator. The Northwood Public School teacher's long tirade came amid reports of a very high absence rate at the school on its Pride Day. According to LifeSite News, approximately 600 out of the school's 800 students stayed home, a 75% absentee rate. True North exclusively obtained a recording of the incident, which took place in June. Here's what some of the recording sounded like. I want to take a couple minutes to express to you some of my feelings about yesterday. How many of you came to school yesterday? Thank you. Thank you. And we as a staff here at Northwood were incredibly hurt by the statement you made yesterday to those of you who didn't come. And for those of you who were here, I apologize. You need to understand how hurt This is not the first instance of a teacher lashing out at Muslim students for not participating in LGBTQ pride activities. An Edmonton teacher came under fire after being recorded making similar remarks. The teacher's comments were condemned by the National Council of Canadian Muslims, as well as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Edmonton Public Schools said it was taking action against the teacher. In the last two months, Muslim communities across Canada have participated in and led protests against the teaching of gender ideology in schools. Well, Andrew, a interesting dynamic is certainly unfolding in Canada um, between what is principally the Muslim community and people who defend LGBTQ pride in schools and want gender ideology taught in schools. 
Is there anyone here who's more right or more wrong? Well, the challenge of being in a pluralistic society is that you either have a coexistence in which everyone just accepts that they have different attitudes on these things, or you have to have a hierarchy in which one person's identity, rights, preferences outweigh the others. And I, I think in this case, we're seeing that the pluralism approach really doesn't work. At a certain point, uh, you're going to have members of religious communities, in this case Muslims, who have a, a different belief about sexual norms than the the trans ideologues do. And the thing here that I would say is that the Muslims who just stay home are actually doing what should be encouraged in a society if you have an issue with something. They're not making a stink about it. They're not abusing or harassing. They're just saying, we don't want to participate in this. And it's actually quite shameful that that this silent display, and I don't even know if it's a protest, is being met with such derision. You're absolutely right about that, Andrew. That was my thinking as well, is if they're kind of just opting out, that seems like the best response because, as you said, they're not harassing anyone, they're not bullying anyone, they're simply kind of removing themselves from the situation. Yeah, and I think that obviously that's not enough. I mean, as we've seen, the, the latest trend in all of these uh, proclamations and diversity groups and all of that is, is that you can't just accept or tolerate, you must celebrate. And, and nothing short of flying the pride flag at the mosque is going to satisfy uh, people like this teacher in Windsor or the one in Edmonton. British Columbia's new drug decriminalization policy, which came into effect in January of this year, has been met with criticism by the Delta BC Police Chief Neil Dubord. In a scathing open letter, the chief shut down claims by the policy's proponents, including the federal government. He argued that the policy, which aims to reduce the harms of drug use and addiction by treating them as public health issues rather than criminal ones, has not in fact led to a significant decrease in the number of drug poisoning deaths in the province. He wrote, quote, the number of overdose deaths in B.C., reaching 791 from the time decriminalization was enacted until May 2023, closely mirrors the figures from the same period in 2022. Dubord suggested that B.C. should learn from the experience of Portugal, which decriminalized all drugs in 2001, but also required addicts to undergo treatment. He emphasized that decriminalization alone is not enough to address the complex and multifaceted problem of drug use and addiction. The B.C. government has since defended its decriminalization policy as one of many approaches it employed. Other jurisdictions, including Toronto, have called for the federal government to allow them to decriminalize hard drugs like fentanyl. British Columbia has actually been very lax on drug policy for many years now. They've actually uh, decided as a province to not particularly pay heed to the criminal code. They aren't doing what Toronto's done, which is asking for permission to do this. So anyone looking around in BC would say this has been a, a profound failure. I don't even think it's just since this year, is it, Lindsay? No, I mean, the public health emergency of the opioid crisis was declared in April 2016 in BC. So how can you have a public health emergency for over seven years? 
Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I look at this and I see the photos and the videos of, of people that are just completely consumed by drugs in British Columbia. And then you also look at the people that live in these communities that have to contend with this and the related thefts and assaults and, and all of this. And when the police chiefs are saying, listen, what you're doing is not working, uh, it's amazing how the, quote, listen to the experts, unquote, government isn't listening to these experts. Something to watch, I think, is what Danielle Smith is doing in Alberta with the compassionate intervention legislation. Um, you know, so people who are an imminent danger to themselves and others, um, they will be essentially forced to go into treatment. And the UCP government in Alberta has announced that they are um, constructing 11 recovery centers um, that are planned to open across the province. There's one where construction is starting soon um, on a First Nation west of Calgary. So I think that will be something that could be a model as well in Canada. Yeah, I would certainly see that. And I mean, it would be interesting if we had that A-B testing between BC and Alberta and seeing two dramatically different results from, from different policies. So we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. That is it for today. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media by heading over to donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful day.